Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. And we're back. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Engage. The official Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Jordan Hoffman, and I'm happy to be here in your ears. As always, you can contact us via Facebook. You should like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast. You should follow me on Twitter at Jay Hoffman. You can contact me. Send me a note. Send me a letter via the Facebook messaging system like us on facebook and then go to message send me a private letter and i will read your letter on the air next week how does that sound brian that sounds good right that sounds fantastic i will read uh the nicest letter um but you know i did get some mail from last week's show last week's show we had a great episode we had sopan deb on the cultural and political writer from the new york times who um you know we didn't mention it while he was here but you know last year this was the guy who was covering the Trump campaign and ended up getting arrested one night accidentally. This made the news. This was like front page news. Did he mention that off air? I don't he remember. Didn't. He, no. we, okay. he sort of made sly remarks that if you read between <laughs> the lines, but he um, was just covering like there was a brawl. You know, there were a couple of times during the convention, during the um, campaign trail where there was some fisticuffs um, and in Chicago, it got, it got kind of rowdy and they just like arrested a bunch of people and he just got one of the, he's a swooped into the patio. He got shoved by the cops. He was shoved down oh, the ground. Wow. I mean, within a day, it was all like, oh, whoops, you know, we didn't mean to do that, <laughs> sir. But anyway, he was on last week. It was a great episode. And the week before, we had Stephanie Zaharik on from Time Magazine, another great episode. But last week, we discussed, um, it was really fun. If you haven't listened to it, we talked about our favorite TNG uh, guest stars and, uh, you know, semi regulars and guest shots or whatever. And we talked about favorite characters who appeared in one episode and one episode only. And there were a couple of statements that we made. I don't want to say they were incorrect because they were not incorrect. Okay. But they were not as thorough as they could have been. <laughs> one statement that we made, we were talking about Cardassians in general. And we were like, you know, you don't really see too many uh, women Cardassians in key pivotal roles. And we were scratching our heads saying, no, you know, you really don't. And um, and then we talked about Zial, but she's half Cardassian. That's sort of the point. Um, but I, I was reminded m multiple times <laughs> uh, about the episode The Chase. Uh, the Chase from TNG, one of the best episodes. Real fun, sort of action-packed episode. And the character of Gull Aset, who is, in fact, a... 
a woman Cardassian, a lady Cardassian. So uh, my regrets for neglecting to mention her. Similarly, and again, this wasn't a mistake. This was just something that we forgot to mention. Um, so we, were do- we did our top three, our favorite picks of, of uh, you know, characters that were only in one episode. And, and Sopan kind of cheated because he picked a character who was in two episodes, which is Kalar, um, the, uh, who was, of course, Worf's uh, baby mama. And, um, you know, talked about how she how she had a lasting legacy because every time Alexander would show up, uh, Kalar's memory, you'd think of her. So she, even though she was only in two episodes, it feels like she was in a lot more. Um, and I mentioned the character, the actress, Susie Plaxton, who's very involved in the conventions and whatnot. She's a real character. She's a lot of fun. And uh, But Kalar is her favorite character, and she does a shtick at the conventions where she puts on the makeup and kind of channels Kalar to see where <laughs> she is now in the underworld and whatnot. Anywho, um, I mentioned, yeah, Susie Plaxton, she's been in, and that's like, she didn't just play Kalar. She was Lieutenant Sailor, Kalar and Sailor, like, <laughs> Lieutenant Sailor, the Vulcan doctor from TNG. Early early seasons, you would see a Vulcan, because there weren't a lot of Vulcans in early TNG by design. They kind of wanted to separate themselves from original series. But she was a Vulcan that was on, and I mentioned her. And I mentioned that she was in the Voyager episode, The Q and the Gray, where she played the female Q. But there were a number of listeners waiting on pins and needles for me to mention the fourth Susie Plaxon character, and I neglected to do it. So I heard about it in my inbox. <laughs> I neglected to mention that she did play Tara, the Andorian, uh, on Enterprise, the ah. episode Ceasefire. I, I, I forgot Enterprise. So, you know, that, that adds extra salt in the wounds to people who are big, big Enterprise fans. And then the other one, Brian, this was sort of the big deal, which um, even I, I, again, I didn't make a mistake. I just neglected to mention when uh, it turned out that Sopan and I both had on our list of top three the character of um, of uh, Gull Madred from uh, TNG Chain of Command. Uh, it was his number two and my number one, I think. I might have had that backwards. I think that is correct. Yeah. And then we talked about David Warner, who's a great British stage actor, and he knew Patrick Stewart for a long time, and pop culture fans know him as Sark from Tron, uh, unmistakable voice. And then I piped up, and I said, oh, and David Warner, by, by the way, he was in Star Trek V, the, the Final Frontier. He, he, he was the character of, he has a great name, Ambassador St. John Talbot. <laughs> who is positioned on Nimbus 3 um, and is then taken hostage or whatever. When Cybok comes, uh, he attacks, uh, it doesn't attack, but he comes to Nimbus 3 and he takes Sir John Talbot. Uh, it was supposed to be the Planet of Peace and it was him and a Romulan uh, um, uh, dignitary and, uh, and a Vulcan and blah, blah, blah. And then that was it. And I neglected to mention, of course, that he played... Chancellor Gorkhan in Star Trek VI, the following film on different makeup. You didn't recognize him, uh, which, of course, I knew. I just forgot to mention it. But I have been receiving some emails like, hey, bud, you forgot to mention Gorkhan. So, mea culpa on that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for paying attention. It's a fun episode, though. You should listen to it all the way through if you haven't. But please, do email me. I'm easy to find um, on the internet. You can just email me direct, or you can throw my name into Google. But the best way to do it, because it'll inspire you to, be, to like us on Facebook if you haven't already, and I would imagine 99% of the people listening have Facebook, is uh, go to facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast, and then you can leave me a note on my wall, or you can contact me direct, and we're going to read some letters 
uh, on the air when we start getting some good ones. Um, not that we have in the past, but I've officially initiated a new policy as of right now. You know when I conceived of this policy? Right now. Two and a half minutes ago. <laughs> All right. What else is going on? Um, we have a great guest today. Dayton Ward is going to be dialing in in just a few moments. He's out there in, I always forget where, because, you know, he works a lot with his partner, Kevin Dilmore. And Kevin Dilmore and Dayton both live in America's heartland, in, in the Midwest. And one of them lives in Overland Park, Kansas, and the other one lives elsewhere, but close. <laughs> And I forget which one lives where, uh, but they both live very close to one another in that part of the world. So we're going to dial in to, uh, to them in a little bit, but before we, and to talk about something really cool. So, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to mention it in the, in the preamble. We're just going to hear it when we talk to him. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is if you were listening to this, you know, right as it's coming out, this is the last time I'll mention it on the show because I think after this week, it's kind of a moot point. The uh, Las Vegas Star Trek convention is coming. And if you were on the fence about making plans and if you want to look at your bank statement and say, you know what, I got a few extra extra bars of gold, gold press latinum in there, uh, you should do it. First of all, staying in Las Vegas is cheap. You don't have to stay at the Rio Hotel, which is where the convention is, although it's nicer because it's convenient. And I've done it many times. Uh, but the the Star Trek convention. Why are you laughing? Because because <laughs> I'm trying to convince people to go on the cheap. Is that it? No, no, no. I don't. I don't know why. All right. I really because you no like idea. the idea of the Rio Hotel Casino in Las Vegas is the is the Rio de Janeiro themed hotel. The, to, to be perfectly honest, I was thinking yeah. of something completely unrelated. That that Vegas now has a hockey team, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go out and see that. But how does Las Vegas have a hockey team? They, they barely have ice. They, well, they they just created it this season. It just started. Wow. After next season, there'll be a uh, the the Las Vegas Golden Knights out there. So Golden Knights with a K, no doubt. Uh, yes. Uh, that's not. That's kind of a boring name for a new team they uh the, you the, think they would be like the slots or something the, i guess that's stupid the, right? um the, the owner was uh w w just wanted to be the knights but but because he was paying homage to the, the uh west point um ah, team or something but okay. they couldn't use that exact thing something like that golden makes sense golden nugget and just sort of the whole yeah you know the whole theme of make, striking it rich but I'm, I'm laughing because it's like wow yeah a desert a desert town. Yeah, you know, no. Has... I mean, every time you flush the toilet in Las Vegas, you're killing the earth. It's terrible. <laughs> but anyway, listen, you can put those thoughts aside for one one week when, for the annual creation uh, Las Vegas Star Trek convention. They're not a sponsor of the show, by the way. I just I just feel the need to, to pump them up a little bit. It's the big deal for Star Trek fans every year. There are other conventions, but this is the big one. And this year is going to be great. They have over 100 guests. All the usual people are going to be there, but they're going to have you know special deal for TNG because it's the 30th anniversary. Patrick Stewart's going to be there. There's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be some stuff for Discovery. I, I can't say exactly what, um, and uh, but it's going to be cool. Um, there will be a few things to specifically uh, tagged to Discovery there. I'm going to be hosting my One Track Mind panels, which I've been doing before. We played some of those on the air in the past. Well, you know, we're going to be doing goofy stuff. We're going to be doing Star Trek trivia and all kinds of fun things. So if you've never gotten a lot of cosplay stuff, oh, man, I'm going to be imagine. interviewing some professional cosplay players. I saw pictures of some of these people. My, oh, nice. My word. So the reason I'm saying this is there still is time, I'm sure, to, um, you know, either, uh, you know, find an inexpensive hotel room near the, the Rio if you don't want to stay at the Rio. Even if you have the money, 
You don't have to stay at the Rio. I mean, the Rio's a nice hotel, but you can go stay at the the Fancy Plants place if you want. But the Rio is nice. Uh, it is, um, you know, Carnival themed. So there is like some Samba music now and then. But the convention center is attached to the hotel. And the whole gang is there. And it's a it's a big party. And if you've never gone and you think if you poked around on the internet and be like, wow, it sounds like there's like a whole culture there that's known each other for a decade and a half. How am I going to just insinuate myself into these people because there are people who come to the convention every year to see their friends from around the world there's a woman from australia who comes every year and it's like she sees all of her star trek fans and then goes back to australia and you know she's been doing it for a very very long time so it's very nice there are friends maybe even some romances that happen but you're saying to yourself i've never gone if i'm gonna go by myself or even just me and my my partner Ah, are we going to be kind of off to the side? The answer is no. There is a a a um, uh, a great uh, a warmth and a welcoming, and you know, a kickoff party at night where all are invited. I mean, sure, there are some sort of inner cliques that like do things on their own because they've been doing it for a decade. But there's a whole system of like new people. We love new people. I mean, hell, after ten minutes, you may want to get out of there and not want to hang out <laughs> with these people and stay on your own. But the point is that they're very welcoming. So. Uh, you can check it out, and as far as like passes to the convention itself, uh, you know they got the, the the full week, the you know two days, either the one day pass. You figure out what works for you, and that is the story on that. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know what else is fun, Brian? What? Not losing um, data on your computer and having fast load speeds thanks to a WD uh, solid state hard drive. I completely agree. As you know. WD, Western Digital, is a sponsor of this show because they're awesome and we love them. And the deal is this. With WD, you're now able to get solid-state drives and hard drives to fit your unique needs. When you add, this is a hypothetical, when you add the superior performance of a WD solid-state drive to your PC, you get blazing read speeds. Foom. Warp 6. Blazing read speeds. So you can boot your system quickly or load games or applications in a snap. Combined with a reliable WD hard drive, you get up to six terabytes of storage to keep your games library, direct feed video, podcasts, and more all in a single place. And for a limited time, strap yourself in, for a limited time, engaged listeners, that's you, can get 20% off select WD blue and black solid state drives with coupon code W-D-E-N-G-A-G-E. WD engage, would engage, all one word. Uh, select WD Blue and Black Solid State Drives coupon code would engage. You find out more at wd.com slash engage. If you're thinking about doing it, now's the time. Get 20% off. You feel like a fool if you wait too long because who knows, you know, that coupon code is going to go away eventually. You will. And you're going to say, you know, now's the day I'm going to buy my Solid State Drive. You go to that URL, put in your coupon code, out of luck. Like at the end of Wrath of Khan, when Khan is about to drop dead, but at least he has the satisfaction of knowing he's taking Kirk and the Enterprise with him. <laughs> and then at the last minute, the warp engines engage and they zoom off. And That's then he, be you. And then he dies. Not only does he die, he dies with the misery and heartbreak of not having vengeance, not fulfilling his wrath. Don't let that happen to you. <laughs> Get your friggin' hard drive today. Don't be like Khan. Don't be like Khan in general. You know? Um, so that's the story. Okay, we're going to come back in just a moment with a talk with Dayton Ward to talk about his new book called The Klingon Empire, Hidden Universe Travel Guides. This is a very funny book. I read it in two sittings 
Uh, I could not put it down. It's so much fun, and it's part two of a series that he did with Hidden Universe Travel Guides. He did the Vulcan one last year, and now the I, I will say the Klingon Empire one is even better. The sequel is better than the original, much like Wrath of Khan. Not that the first one was no good, but I love this new one, and we're going to talk to Dayton right now. A new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. Okay, and we're back. So, uh, very excited. We have a friend and a guest who's been on this show before. Um,. Uh, once, uh, but I, I feel like he was also with us. I don't think we spoke to him, though, when we did our away mission to Ticonderoga, New York. So we're going to... Um, can we, uh, Brian, can we open a communication channel? Yes, sir. And can we, can we beam his voice in? Yes, we can. And, oh, appearing before me, an apparition, Dayton Ward. Hello. Welcome to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. How's it going, Jordan? <laughs> it's going Long well. Long time no talk. A long time no talk. It has been a while. Well, you've been very busy. Uh, it is the thick of convention season, with summertime brings backyard barbecues, and for writers of science fiction lore like yourself, you're on the road. So you just came back from the convention known as Shore Leave. Is that correct? Yeah, I just uh, was last weekend. Can you tell the listeners who who know what Shore Leave is from Star Trek? It's of course one of the great TOS episodes. What does Shore Leave mean? To you, Dayton, the man well, who probably still... in this still... context, yeah. it is a multimedia science fiction fantasy convention that is held every year in Hunt Valley, Maryland, which is just north of Baltimore. And they've been doing it. This was their 39th uh, convention. So next year they celebrate the Big 4 um, And they, so they have guests from a variety of, you know, genre, film, and television. And they also have a very large writer track. So they typically bring in 30 to 40 writer guests over the course of the weekend, including a very large contingent from the Star Trek stable. So people who have written Star Trek novels and Star Trek comics and perhaps even a little bit for one of the productions um, that we all descend on this poor little hotel in Hunt Valley, Maryland and <laughs> wreak havoc for a couple of days. It, now, it does the convention, it t- does take its name from the TOS episode, right? Yes, it does. Oh, okay. Originally it was a Star Trek convention yeah. and over time it has morphed to include and expand beyond Star Trek to you know other film and television properties. Gotcha. So you get to mingle a little bit with people who are from maybe the the Buffy verse or the. Uh... Oh yeah, they have it all. The Doctor Who, Buffy, uh, any of the more recent shows on TV like Grimm or Supernatural. There's a huge Supernatural fandom that shows up at this show. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, it's all everybody's welcome. There are no there are no wrong answers when it comes to your fandom. <laughs> So long, as long as you're buying stuff, there's no wrong hands. As long as you're hanging out and buying a ticket and all that, they don't awesome. care. And getting the photo ops. Uh, there was a wide, very uh, big spam. I mean, Marina Sirtis and Michael Dorn, I think, were the two headliners, uh, along with uh, Kevin Sussman from The Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, cool. Stuart from The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they have, you know, folks from Battlestar Galactica and Supernatural and, and a few other shows, too. Groovy. And then in about two weeks, you're heading out to Las Vegas once again for the big so convention. I'm so you're uh, told. Yeah. Uh, there has been voodoo and, and and plotting and scheming and things, and apparently um, I'm going to go out there 
you know, I'm going to go out there in my guise as a writer for Insight Editions uh, oh. to help promote the newly released Klingon Travel Guide. Well, isn't that a thing? Because that How happens about that to for be a subtle segue. How's that for a segue? Of course, yes. Uh, Dayton is uh, a, a novelist who has written and co-written a number of Star Trek books. Uh, very involved in. Uh, gosh, I mean, I couldn't even. Uh, what's the grand total right now that you've got? I have. Um, written 26 novels uh, most of those are star trek or either written or co-written them with my partner kevin dillmore yeah that's a lot 26 is a lot um but the lately you have found yourself working in a very specific uh niche of star trek literature that i find absolutely delightful i just finished last night the book in question which is called i have it in my hand hidden universe travel guides Star Trek The Klingon Empire. And this is the second in a series. Around this time last year, you released the Vulcan one. And what these books are, are basically, you know, Fromer's guides or Fodor's guides or Rick Steve's guides, whichever one you want to use, timeout guides uh, for a traveler in the 24th century. I, yeah, in the 24th century, who has a little vacation time and a little extra latinum. And wants to go somewhere. And before you go, you go to the library or you go to the bookstore and you buy your travel book for the Klingon Empire. And it reads really, I mean, remarkably exactly like a Rick Steves travel book. Um, the, the format is, is, is almost exactly the same, although uh, it does have some, some of your own ticks. I want to talk about that in a little bit. But it's, it's legit. Like... You know, as someone who I tend to buy, uh, I do buy Rick Steves books when we go somewhere. And my wife and I try to go someplace once a year. And if you know, this year, earlier in the year, we went to Portugal. I've never been to Portugal. I went to Amazon, and two days later, thanks to the good people at Prime, I had my Rick Steves Portugal book in my hands. And um, it's really amazing how when I was reading this, the thing you wrote, I was like, oh, I would definitely have lunch there. We should do that. You know, like I was planning the trip in my head. I was like, oh, wait, this is make-believe. This is not real. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, sort of the process in your mind of how you put this together. Because it is a format. I mean, it's there is a formula to it. And that's not a pejorative to say that because it works like like one of those travel books. I mean, very rarely do you pick up a Rick Steves or a, a, a Fromer's Guide and, and read it cover to cover. You kind of poke around and you find the things you want to do. But this is a little different because if you're a Star Trek fan, you're getting all the jokes. Well, I mean, you hit on it. Um, that was the idea. Uh, I was asked, uh, what, what year is this? I was asked in 2015 um, about writing the, the Vulcan version of this. Um, I apparently have uh, been recommended to Inside Editions uh, as a potential candidate for writing a book like this. And that is exactly the conceit. They wanted a travel guide that you would, if you were inside the universe, pick up at a bookstore like you would a Frommers or a, a Lonely Planet guide and be able to carry in your backpack or your travel bag as you venture forth on your vacation. Uh, so that was the, the idea. So I went to the bookstore and I bought a couple of Lonely Planet guides to get inspiration from, um, and then I sat down and created an outline that my editor and I worked out, and we, you know, the idea from the beginning was that it would be inside the box and never break character the entire time. So the joke is that we play it completely straight as a tribal guide. Yeah. Um, I was I was encouraged by both Insight and the folks at CBS 
to have fun with this, uh, not to make it a boring reference book or a something similar to what you might get if you were a role playing if you're playing a role playing game and you had a supplemental book about the Federation or something. Uh, they wanted me to step away from those approaches and totally immerse myself in the idea that this was a travel book written by the same type of people who sit in an office at Frommers or Lonely Planet, so they send people out to visit these places and gather information and interview people and collect interesting anecdotes and whatever and bring it all back and boil it down to a book that they can put on the shelf. Um, so that's what I did for the Vulcan book. And then once we had a formula established or a template, as you say, uh, then they came to me and asked me, even before the Vulcan book was published, they were asking me about the Klingon guide. Um, so I did the same thing. But, you know, obviously Vulcan and Klingon Empire are two different animals, so you had to kind of change your approach just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, there definitely are some differences. I will say uh, the, Kl the, the Klingon one is just a little bit funnier. Maybe it's just because I find Klingons so very entertaining, uh, not to dismiss my Vulcan friends, but, I mean, there's a lot of really funny stuff in here. And in well, fact, they encouraged me to have fun with the humor. I guess, I guess someone even made the mistake of saying, well, he's got a fairly broad sense of humor. He might be fun for this. And, uh, in fact, some of my jokes had to be dialed back on the Vulcan book because I was either too far inside the baseball park or too far down in the references, and not everybody got it. Right, right. Um, and which is good, though, because my editor, even though he's a fan, he's not really immersed in the details and the mythology and the minutia. And so if I had to explain something to him, that was my cue that, okay, I need to dial it back and broaden the, you know, the appeal of that particular reference or that joke. Um, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to exclude anybody while we were having all this fun. Right. Well, that's, um, a ver that's a very key point that I wanted to get to. Even if you don't know what it is that you're kind of tiptoeing around, I'm going to, I'm going to give some examples in a little bit. I'm going to do a dramatic reading here, but even <laughs> if, uh, even if you don't know what you're tiptoeing around, you can still read it and have a good time. Um, because as a, as a fan like myself, I'm reading through it and I'm going, oh, he's referring to, you know, that episode when blah, blah, blah happened, you know. But right. even if you don't get that, even if you don't know what Nar Narendra 3 is or, um, you know, if you don't remember that particular story about uh, Kales, you know, right. uh, it doesn't matter. You can still get it. Um, and in fact, some of the, the lore that you, you, uh, you take from um, is pretty deep cut. It's not all from the show. Some of them are coming from some of the books, and s there's even some things that are coming from the games, uh, which I didn't know. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the Battle Cruiser Vengeance bit, <laughs> um, and then I. But the question I have specifically is, there have to be some things in here that don't come from anything other than your imagination, right? I mean, yes, yeah, so I had to make up quite a bit. Yeah, which is, but what's great is that to a reader like me, and I would put myself on the level of, uh, in the real world, I'm an expert. When I go to a convention, I'm an intermediate plus level Star Trek uh, right. guy. I mean, I get blown away by trivia when I go to the conventions. But in the real world, you know, I walk around town. I can walk around a Manhattan block and say, I know more about Star Trek than anybody on this block, and I'm usually right. But at the convention, it's not the case. But even for a guy like me, there were times I'm like, I, I don't know where this one's coming from, but it's still pretty damn cool. So I would, I would say hats off to you on that for making that work. Well, I mean, uh, the trick was to avail myself of the various resources that are out there. So if you're a hardcore fan, there's a, there's a number of resources to draw from. But, but to homogenize it and to, and to kind of boil it down... Uh, so that anybody could read it and not feel lost, you know. Like if so, if you're reading it in the particular passage and you're entertained by it, then I've done my job. But if you're a hardcore fan and you get the in joke, then that you get rewarded for the, you know, for that uh, being able to roll that deep. 
Um, so, but the idea was to not exclude anybody from the fund, if, if at all possible. Yeah. So uh, let's give some. Let me do some uh, specific examples. So you open up the book, and it opens with a lot of introductions. There's also a lot of really cool art here, and I want to talk to you about the illustrators in a moment. But uh, it opens with, and it's got some cool maps and whatnot. But then there's sort of the introductory stuff. So this is on page 14 under the what to wear. So if you're going to Kronos, uh, Kronos or Quonos, how do you pronounce it? I pronounce it Kronos, but I'm pretty sure I've tortured it. So. <laughs> I mean, the spelling is always, and you also talk about how things are spelled and pronounced and how, how you're better off just letting your, your universal translator do the work for you. Yeah, because uh, you get yourself in trouble. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, Kronos experiences a wide range of weather with the planet's landmass or supercontinent spanning multiple climate zones. However, conditions in the major population centers and main points of tourist interest tend toward the warm, the mild to warm side. Travelers seeking adventure away from these areas should be prepared, be prepared to deal with sudden weather changes. Dress or be ready to replicate clothing that's appropriate for a variety of situations. So I love that already is that that's how a tourist would think in the Star Trek universe is like, be prepared to replicate. You know, it's just it's just it's just a dream, you know. So um, if, if, if only life was that simple, if right? only life was that simple. So uh, it continues on when you are hiking in the jungles, bright colored clothing may prove useful if you become lost or separated from your tour group. On the other hand, bright colors also tend to attract large predators such as saber bears and brush devils. The basic rule of thumb is dress for dinner, not as dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and then there is a really cool illustration of just sort of like a surly looking Klingon. I know, wearing, so happy to be there. Yeah, right? just like grumpy, grumbly guy. Um, and then another really funny bit, if you skip ahead. Um, so there's an introduction section and then it starts going to the main points of of destinations as it would if you picked up the you know like you say the lonely planet guide to 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 england would have the big first chapter would be on london and then after that it would go to some of the other cities so it goes to the first city and it's got all the information about the museums and the the old quarter and the shrine of the Batleth and whatnot but i started giggling when we got to you know of course what i'm always interested in which is where you're going to have lunch so <laughs> um on page uh, 51, there it is, the place I would go to first. If I land there with my, with my wife, I'd drag her and say, we got to go to Caretex Inn because this is like, you know, because when you go to, uh, um, like I said, I just came back from Portugal, and Portugal is famous for a couple of key foods. They're very well known for their pastries, and there's a particular pastry that they're very famous for, and there's a particular shop in Lisbon that right. is considered the best of the best yeah, of the it's best. Like going for beignets in New Orleans. Exactly. You, know, you, go, you, go, you gotta yeah. go straight to the Cafe du Monde in New Orleans. You go to New York, you gotta go to, to Lombardi's for pizza, whatever it is. Exactly. So when you get to the first city, you drop your stuff off at the hotel, you get in a taxi, and you gotta go to Correct Tax in because, as you write, Gach is one of the handful of Klingon foods that's well known beyond the Empire borders. There are more than 50 different varieties of Gach bloodworms, which I never knew. I never knew. I didn't them. either, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, some of this stuff, when I was researching, I'm like, I had no idea. <laughs> so, so where did you, was that, did that come from rewatching an episode and listen very closely or I, reading one of at the... At this point, I can't tell you where a particular reference came from right. in some of these cases, but I just remember jotting it down somewhere thinking, okay, that's a nice trivia bit. How can I work that in? Exactly. And that's, um, that's, that was the big challenge is, you know, once you get past Gok and Bloodworm and like one or two other things, 
that's all there is. You have, you know, it's like, well, what else do these people eat? You know, it's sort of like the Vulcan guide. All we know is they like plumique soup. I'm like, okay, <laughs> and, you know. Right. Well, there is that Italian restaurant from the book, uh, the Vulcan Academy Murders. They do go yeah. there. Um, well, yes. So, I mean, uh, and then you go on to talk about whether or not you should eat it live and whether you should, you know, drink it with uh, bl- uh, blood wine and how blood wine may be too strong. You may need a Klingon Warnog, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Another very funny thing, of course, is where are you going to lay your head? Uh, because, you know, you want to, if you're going on vacation, you want to stay at a nice hotel. You've got to be in your price range, but you want to feel comfortable there. And then, of course, there is in, um, I can't say it in Klingon because it's very lengthy. I'll try. Hapulj nach mempame. But uh, it translates to the Flat Rock Hotel. And you can, you know, if you're driving along, maybe uh, on, on the highway, you see, know, oh, the Flat Rock Hotel, that must mean it's near a. Must mean it's it's near a mountain or something. If you're in the Appalachians, oh, the Flat Rock Hotel sounds nice. You know, it sounds like an Elvis song. Yeah, or, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, as you write, um, Flat Rock Hotel, an indication of what you're in for when you stay here. Instead of beds, guests sleep on stone slabs, in keeping with All Klingon right. tradition. The on-site restaurant features only local cuisine, including a wide variety of the live fare. That so many Klingons relish. Be prepared for meals that cross the table to your plate. <laughs> so this is a lot of funny stuff like that. And uh, then, like, so as you go on to other cities, uh, the Ketha province and uh, the Central Plains, you talk more about different hotels, but there are always variations on different rocks or slabs you can sleep on. One of them was at least metal. I think it was up in the uh, up in the Bor- uh, the the Boreth Monastery. I think you could sleep on a slab of metal there. Maybe it was too I know, cold. right? They were really considerate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another really fun thing that you get to do with this book is to put on different voices because there are testimonials throughout, normally with the introduction of another city. And you've got uh, testimonials written by famous Klingons, and that they would include uh, people like uh, um, a Worf, uh, for example. Uh, on the chapter on Kittimer, I think, is where you talk about Worf. And um, Bilana talks about the town that she's from. And. Um, uh, uh, Martok, I think, uh, from, you know, Martok's, and from when it's a character that's older than the quote-unquote current uh, storyline, it's always like, as reported in from the year 22-something-something. So what was that like for you, being able to kind of slip that hat on for, you know, a short, maybe 300-word, uh, uh, you know, General Cord of the Klingon Defense Force is writing about the War uh, Historical mm-hmm. Museum. Um, how much fun was that, being able to slip into those different characters? I was able to channel a bit of the novel stuff, you know, that kind of that thinking into those sections. When I was looking through the the, the guides that I was using as an inspiration, like the Lonely Planet stuff, there were similar little articles and testimonials written by uh, either members of the staff who wrote for these things or someone who was interviewed or a prominent local citizen of of the, of the location in question. So I basically borrowed that idea from the real-world travel guides. To, and to It was as an excuse to bring in some well-known characters and, and offer up different insights about uh, the, the various places. So I did the same thing with the Vulcan guide. So you see a lot of stuff like, I think there was one by Sarek and there's one by Spock, of course, and um, Tuvok and other prominent Even Vulcans. To Paul is in that one also. She, she gets to, uh, gets yeah, to, to say Yeah, Paul was in that one, I think. Um, so just the basic, same basic idea to give it some flavor and to humanize, humanize it. That's funny considering we're talking yes, about Klingons. Uh, uh, humanize the, <laughs> the, the the text a little bit. But humanize it actually it does make sense because there's there is if there are if there is like a narrative to this book, 
there there is a bit of a narrative which is that the klingon empire is changing and so time and again you you reference that all of this is new by this i mean tourism in Mm -hmm. the klingon empire you say for centuries offlanders offworlders would never have seen and you know to hold a batleth was something that was anathema to a non-klingon years ago so there is a recurring theme of trying to show another side of Klingons. And it manifests itself in two ways in your book. Number one is really showing a lot of shading to what we think of as the Klingon character, as just being like, you know, warlike and barbarian. And that's absolutely not true. There are all kinds of shades to the Klingon culture. And a lot of it stems from uh, from Kalis, really, from understanding his philosophy. So can you talk a little bit about... about uh, your your journey in learning more about that because even though you've written a lot of star trek novels you haven't done too many that are focused primarily on klingon if i'm if i'm not mistaken not really no actually it's funny you mention that because this was a conversation that came up during the writing of this particular book um uh folks at insight were asking me you know do are there such a thing as a klingon scientist are there such a thing as a klingon and you know construction person and i'm like well of course there has to be not everybody can be a soldier um, there has to be somebody that's not in the military to you know for, to provide a society and an infrastructure and support and family members and uh, you know what do you do when you're too old to fight in a war anymore you got to go find something to do so maybe some guy opened a bar who knows uh, I mean you know it was lighthearted conversation but it it does it does go back to what we were talking about yes the Klingon civilization is very rich and very multi layered and there's more to it than the honor and the military even though those are very important parts of their culture. And I wanted to have not have fun with it, but I wanted to bring some of that out in the book and show people that there is that this is a very fascinating, multifaceted culture. Um, and that a lot of that stems from stuff we saw in the later shows, particularly Next Gen and DS9 with Worf as our focal point. And then um, the novels have helped to expand that uh, a great deal over the years, particularly stuff written by Keith DeCanado. Uh, his novels and the, the other Klingon-based works he's done. So I drew on a lot of those for inspiration to help me flesh out Klingon society and present something that an off-worlder would want to find or want to come and see for themselves. Yeah, no, I found it I found it uh, kind of eye-opening in a way, particularly the Kalis. I know that uh, it was Michael Jan Friedman wrote a book, uh, Kalis, which is one of the ones you mentioned in, in the on the back page is one that you uh, took from a little bit. And... Uh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, this this guy's pretty fascinating. You know, but it comes out in all of the, because you mentioned Kalis enough times in various, uh, you know, in the muse- you know, in the in the chapters on the museums. You know, you go right. this museum, uh, pretty much every museum on the Klingon uh, homeworld is going to have <laughs> and that. Actually, did come up. You know, it's like, why is Kalis so much in here? And I'm like, <laughs> you know, he's based. It's like the same reason why Surak factors so prominently sure. in Vulcan culture it's like you know it's like going to the vatican and not asking about right. jesus right. You know, it's, it's gonna come up <laughs> it's gonna you know? come up yeah um and so, so but so, so how do you how do you how does he fold into so many different aspects of society and, and their culture and their and their belief systems and, and things so that that was a hard it was a balancing act because you don't want to overdo it and you don't want to repeat yourself but yet at the same time you want to make it apparent that the, the, you know, this is a very important component yeah. of their makeup. So. Well, it's, it's funny because you can kind of find one-to-one comparisons in our own culture because there are some people who follow Kalis's teachings and, you know, uh, you bring it up with, you know, Kalis's warrior code was about like kind of a whole, uh, you know, civic virtue as a sort of a, a, a whole system of, of being. 
So when you talk about the Klingon opera houses and whatnot, it kind of ties in that way. And you do mention it explicitly. And then there are sort of the um, ultra-religious who followed the prophecy of Kalos pointing to a star, and that's where they built their monastery. And uh, it comes in there in those stories also. So you can see how one... And then, of course, there's the K-less clone and what he's doing and how that affects things politically. So right. you can kind of take it, I mean, you know, you, you can kind of take it as, you know, here's a religious figure being interpreted different ways by different people and in one overarching culture. So, uh, you know, there you, you can learn a few things about your own life from this book is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Interesting take on that. <laughs> so, no, I mean it was it was we had you know we had some very good conversations. My editor and I had some great conversations during the writing of both of these books about how to how to without getting too far afield of the book's main goal, which is to you know be a, a guide to visitors. Um, it's like how much do you want to imbue into the text about this stuff? And it's like well you don't want to get too carried away, but you don't want to ignore it. And there's a fine line. And like you said, you go to this museum, that's going to factor. You go to that. Memorial Park or that building or that re- even even some restaurant, you know, it just it, it'll be there somewhere in the background. But how do you do it without overdoing it? Yeah. So. Well, the the other thing so I, I mentioned earlier about um you know, the 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 change in Klingon culture with uh opening toward tourism and how it manifests itself in your book. So I mentioned sort of uh you know, the 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 Klingon uh national character or I guess planetary character. The other thing which is a little more lighthearted is you know making overtures to what we as readers in 2017 think of as tourist staples when you go to great places you know <laughs> right. you, you go to Rome you go to Paris you go to Washington DC and you know there's a spot where there will be jugglers playing mm-hmm. <laughs> juggling for money for the kids right and you mentioned it in your book but what's funny is that there there are a couple of turns of phrase where it's like they will begrudgingly juggle for you or something because <laughs> <laughs> they're not really into it. You know, they're kind of doing it because they, they kind of have to, or they well, recognize- that, or they're just they're 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 figuring it out for themselves. Like, how am I supposed to treat these people? Uh, I can't, apparently, I'm not allowed to kill them. That's a bad thing. That looks frowned upon. So, how do I do this? Okay, we'll we'll put on a little show here. Um, in some, and then there's other cases where you know you can sit in there and watch two guys have a fight you know, in a bar because they've disagreed about some point of honor or whatever. Um, yeah, it's definitely definitely a, a fine balancing act between, because the, the, the trick was I don't want to make fun of it. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to have fun, it's, it's more of a laugh with, not a laugh at yeah. approach. So, I mean, I'm not trying to be above it all. I'm not trying to be better than it or snark on it. I'm in love with the stuff, too, so I want to be respectful while we're having some fun with it. Uh, but that's the point: having fun with it, not poking fun at it. Yeah, I mean the 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 the, re- the reader in in universe now. So you're a Federation guy. Yeah, you're just a uh, person who's traveling to the right. world. So, so, yeah. so from their point of view, though, it's somebody who would be respectful, but is almost Picard-like, fascinated with other cultures and wants to go and immerse themselves. So you right. give a lot of lessons on, you know, o- on um, etiquette. You've got whole chapters on etiquette, and also, um, you, you know, you give a lot of specifics. And there was the one about, it wasn't quite arm wrestling, but there's a type of barf game. There's like a barf game type challenge. Yeah. Now, have, does yeah. that come from the specific source, or was that one totally out of your head? Oh, I got it from a source. Um, some of the stuff, like the etiquette lessons, there's an episode of DS9 where they're all getting ready to go undercover as Klingons. Oh, yeah. And they're all standing on a line, and Worf is inspecting each one of them because they've all been done up in Klingon. 
makeup and Klingon prosthetics and everything, and he's challenging them on points of Klingon etiquette and interacting with other Klingons, and he's, he's basically saying, you did that wrong, you just insulted my entire family, you know, and, <laughs> or that kind of thing. And it's, he's basically drilling them on points of Klingon etiquette. So I literally took those points that he raised and made a list and decided which of these I could fold into a little sidebar piece about how to conduct yourself when yeah. you're interacting with Klingons. So basically, w- what I learned is if a Klingon insults you, you just throw it right back in his face and <laughs> right. say that Step his, you know, he or, gotta, you know, give back as good as you get. You got to give back and say that, that he smells like garbage. And then you should punch him in the face, <laughs> but not slap him in the face. Because if, you punch, him with if, an open hand. That's if right. you punch him in the face, he'll laugh and buy you a beer or a right. warnog. If you slap him, he'll kill you and your entire family. That's basically what Worf was telling O'Brien or whomever who was standing there online. You know, he's like, you just hit me with an open hand. Did you mean to insult my entire lineage or something to that effect? And I'm like, okay, this is very nuanced, this Klingon etiquette. You know, I mean, I knew some of it, but you didn't. The, the funny part of that whole scene was the, was the very little nitpicky things that he was getting on that you, to you and I would or sound silly. But, of course, to a Klingon, this is very important. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was stuff like that made it fun. There was something else in the book um, that when I read, that was one that I had to put down. I'm like, all right, I got to Google this one because I clearly don't get it. And it was the stuff about the battle cruiser vengeance. <laughs> so, because you mentioned it twice in the book, and the first time it's like, um, it was something like if you come from the Federation, these are books. It, it sounded to me like they were nerd objects. That like if your friend is going to a Comic Con convention, he wants you to bring you back something. That it's was sort basically of basically their version of if if they had Star Trek in the Star Trek universe, what would be the nerdy show that people watch? That's what I thought. Now, where does that and come from? Because I had a Google that It comes that from one. a novel. Okay. Um, it was uh, one, it was in, it was a referenced in a novel called The Final Reflection, um, which is one of the you know milestone Klingon novels that's been done ever. And the reason there's a second reference because the second reference is basically an ad. Yeah, at the end of the book, and that literally came as a desperation move toward the end of the of my writing when we came up a page short in the layout, <laughs> and so my editor is like, "We need something that can fit on one page and one page only. What do you have?" And I said, "How about an ad for an interactive attraction, just like Star Trek: The Experience, but it's Battle Cruiser Vengeance." Yeah. And he's like, perfect, it's done. Brilliant. You know, you just earned your money. I will pay you the final part of your advance. And so, no, I mean, it was literally, it was, he called me, I was driving, and, I, and I'm in traffic, and I'm like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Because I literally had, like, that afternoon to figure it out. Yeah. And uh, I said, how about this? And I thought it sounded kind of shaky, and he thought it was brilliant. So it's I'm like, fu- the editor's always right. It's a great, exactly. No, it's a great little button to end on. And in fact, uh, I went back and looked at the Vulcan one. I'm like, they didn't have a little joke at the end there. So uh, now, now if there's ever a third one, you got to keep it in there. So exactly. Well, that's the big question, of course, is what would the third one be? Would it be Bejor? You know, that's would a good be... question, and we and it's been something that's that we've talked about. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm not contracted to write another one, uh, at least not yet. Um, I'm. Uh, don't know what a third one be because, as as you might agree, once you get past Vulcan and the Klingons, the list of candidate worlds starts to that, that would appeal to a mainstream audience or to a broad audience. Yeah, starts to diminish pretty quickly. It, yeah. um, I suppose Romulus is a candidate, um, but after that, 
at least in my brain, um, it's a deep dive for some of these other planets. Yeah, I mean, um, there, there is enough material to do Bajor, but there may not be the audience demand for it. That's the, that's the key, is where is that yeah. balancing act between, yes, there's plenty of material to talk about, but will somebody who's a, only a casual fan of Star Trek or buying it for someone who they think is a Star Trek fan in their family... Yeah. You know, is that going to appeal to them? Right, and, then and they, it's, they, I mean, it's it's a, it's a, I've I've countered out with ideas like maybe we can do one book that covers several planets, you know, that we, so we can yeah. we can figure could, out a way to do it. You could maybe do the, the the yeah the gamma. Well, you could maybe do like the the you outer know, reaches of, of the Alpha worlds Quadrant, of the Federation or something. Worlds of the Fe- there you go, worlds of Federation, or you could do Earth. Weirdly enough. Yeah, actually, that did come up as, I don't know if it was, they were partly like, what's Earth like in the 24th century? You know, uh, that's that's been something that's, you know, at least on the whiteboard. It I, would don't, be, I don't know. <laughs> it would be, um, you know, the book would be, the, the intended reader would be uh, people that have lived their whole lives on colonies, you know, that have lived on Cestus 3 yeah, or whatever. And, I mean, different, you know, space stations and colony yeah. worlds and, and these ast- or asteroids or something. I don't know. It's a, yeah. It's an interesting... I mean, I would have. If you had asked me a couple years ago if I was going to write something like this, I would have laughed. Like, come on, nobody's going to buy that. But apparently, people are buying the thing. So, <laughs> I, I once again, editors right. Yeah. Um, so it. I mean, they were definitely different than writing novels, and they were they were they were both a lot of fun for different reasons. Yeah. Um, now I could imagine. I, I could I could see you chuckling to yourself as you're writing this because it's very clever, and really a great deal of fun. I mean, I picked it up and. Um, Started on the subway and just, you know, just could not put it down. Just just zoomed right through. Really very, very entertaining. Yeah, and you're packing your bags and you're heading for the Klingon Empire. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and then we must talk about the illustrations because uh, yes. it, it looks phenomenal. Uh, the, the maps are awesome. The graphics are really cool uh, and the typography and whatnot. But, on, you know, there's images on every page and they're, they're illustrations, they're drawings. And... Um, Tell me a little bit about working with uh, the people whose names are. Hold on, I can help you with that. No, yeah, it's absolutely. got it right here. I'm going to ta- uh, to Peter Markowski and Livio Ramondelli. Yes, they are. They are. They both artists were also. Uh, they also did all the artwork for the Vulcan book. Um, so I was very happy to hear that both of them had were available and willing to work on the Klingon book because I thought their illustrations for the Vulcan guy just made that book dance. Uh, my little pithy text looks so awesome next to their illustrations. It's not even <laughs> funny. Um, no, they're both they're both great guys. They're both very talented artists, as you can tell. Um, they both have different styles. Uh, Peter is was the guy who did a lot of the cityscape type uh, illustrations, like the covers mm. and those type of drawings. And Livio pretty much did all the other. Uh, stuff, the little incidental, incidental, probably not the right word, but the smaller illustrations that are next to text blurbs inside the book and the maps that you see uh, in the Klingon Guide, all yeah. that stuff is him. And um, then, of course, the whole layout and design is just gorgeous. Uh, Chrissy Kwasnick and Ashley Quackenbush at Inside Editions were the graphic designers and art directors on that one, and they were they hit it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, what's neat is that it's, it's a nice mix because some of them are sort of sweeping vistas and cityscapes, mm-hmm. but then there are also a lot of very small, almost pointillist little images like... Right. You know, a little bit just on little gr- bitty things that, that are just there's take 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 one object or one exactly, thing and yeah. just give it uh, some prominence and it's just gorgeous. Yeah, I was I was when we were doing the Vulcan book. This goes back to when we were doing the Vulcan book. The early idea was that we would use uh, photography or screen caps from yeah. you know whatever, and it became obvious very quickly that it just wasn't enough material 
uh, to do what we wanted to do, yeah. or the resolution of what was available was not high enough uh, for the for the for the book's needs. And so my editor Chris Prince decided very wisely uh, that he would use illustrations throughout to give the book its own look and feel. And uh, I think it was a dynamite decision, and it paid off for the Vulcan Guide. Yeah, no, and it's 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 really cool. And the new one, like you know, you're and the new one's just talk, a perfect companion to it. Talking about a restaurant, so it's a it's like a a, a close shot of a um, and I say shot, I mean drawing of um, you know like a, a cup of blood wine. Or when mm-hmm. you're discussing Rura Penfe, it's a little statue they have of of uh, right. of Spock getting out of uh, Rura Penfe. And there's a there's one illustration that's. Um, it talks about the Hall of Heroes or something to that effect where they honor non-Klingons who have contributed to Klingon society in some lasting form. And there's a stone statue of Jean-Luc Picard standing next to a Klingon warrior. And it's one of my favorite illustrations in the entire book. Just It's so simple, yet it's so gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. It's cool stuff. So I want to conclude by saying, should we ever, you know, we're going to be seeing each other probably in Las Vegas, but if we were seeing each other on the Klingon home world, I think we'd probably go to the Tipsy Targ, which are <laughs> yeah. in the Central Plains, and um, you know if the you're looking snapped bat lift, I think is a cool bar. That snapped like bat lift. If you're looking for a fancy cocktail, you're most definitely in the wrong place. However, no you kidding. can avoid you can avoid the chorus of mocking laughter from the bartender if you stick to ordering drinks that only consist of one element: blood wine. <laughs> The Double T, which I love that Tipsy Targ has the nickname The Double T. The Double T does have a food menu that includes an assortment of vegetables and fruits if you're not into live gog, gach, or brigit lung. Mm-hmm. If you ask nicely, the cook might even agree to place a cut of teknag steak over an open flame for a minute or two. <laughs> Maybe I won't go to the Klingon Empire. Sounds like uh, sounds Maybe like I'll pack my own lunch. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so where would you go? Would you, if you had a week off with the family, you go in the Klingon Empire. You go to Vulcan. I think I'd go to Risa. <laughs> <laughs> so. Do they? Can you bring kids to Risa? I don't that well maybe not but that's not a deal breaker I can leave him with a parent with a grandparent right so, <laughs> right, so or or Sherman's was it Sherman uh, Rig- Wrigley's pleasure planet. Wrigley's pleasure planet that, yeah but that sounds a little less a uh, little less uh, publicly appealing yeah Rice's Rice's sounds harmless at yeah first. well Rice is it sounds ha- harmless and you know there there is a lot of um, visual splendor there you know there's I a did lo- volunteer to do some research for a Rice <laughs> book it would involve me going to the Bahamas for right a right weeks, right but Just... they didn't buy it so. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. All right, cool. Well, listen, this book is available in stores when? Uh, as of yesterday. Oh, it is available look at that. In print edition. Okay. It will be available as an ebook on August 1st. August 1st is an ebook. I, you know, I, I do like ebooks, but I would uh, implore people to, this is one you want to hold in your hands because uh, it just feels right for a travel book. Uh, you know, if, if you're on the fence between the two, it's a great one. And even though I did read it front to back, it's not against the rules to, to just poke around, right? You leave it someplace fun on the coffee table, you pick yeah, it up. Yeah, I was going to say, to me, it doesn't read like a book that should be read from cover to cover. It's 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 a reference book, it's, so you're going to pick it up and flip to something appropriate or random, if depending on the situation, and read 
as you need. I mean, that's how you use it if you're on vacation. Yeah. If you're going to go to the first city, you'll read about the first city, and then if you go out to the plains, you'll flip to that section. Yeah, or you'll no. bookmark that section or something. It's definitely yeah. a fun one to leave around the house. You know, you got a friend comes over while where you're, you know, you got to take a phone call. Your friend picks it up off the coffee table. It's a good one. So <laughs> I want to. I put it on the coffee table. And I put the Vulcan guide on the coffee table underneath one for Japan, <laughs> uh, and just laid it there as, a, as when we were having people over just to see what would happen. And people did look at me sidelong. <laughs> the people who didn't know what I did for a living, you know, some of my wife's friends. How so, has writing these two books affected your relationship with other travel books? Like, have you read I, other well, travels? I, like, this I had is never terrible. actually owned one. I mean, I've flipped through them. I've looked through them, you know, like for reference, but I had never bothered to really look in deep to see how they're put together. And it's a, I don't know how they do it. It's a phenomenal, it has to be a phenomenal process just based on the amount of effort involved. I don't know, you know, like the Japan book I bought is 700 pages. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I had, and that's a little tiny print. You know, I have to wear my glasses when I read it. And I'm like, I don't know how much work goes into putting together one of these, you know, and this company puts however many out they do a year. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, I assume that they're working from something they, they created years ago and they're just updating it as needed. But I think still, that, you know, that is what they do, yeah. But have you ever uh, stumbled upon Rick Steves' books at all? I don't think I have by yeah. that name. I, I, my, I'm more familiar with Lonely Planet and yeah. Frommers. Well, that's very funny to me because um, I'm very brand loyal to Rick Steves. He's my guy. He's the one okay. I buy. I've got about six or seven of his and um, your books reminded me of his. And I mean, okay. that's the highest compliment I can give because they are extremely informative. They have a strict a template so you know it's easy to find your way around the book. And they're funny. Um, and there's a li- there are zings in there all the time. And I may have to check one out. So. Yeah, next time you're going somewhere, grab a... Okay. If you haven't written it yourself, if you're not going to yeah, Vulcan well, or yeah, Klingon, they don't, if, you know, if these guys don't want to hire me to write a real one after all this, I don't know <laughs> you what. Know, you know, I'm sure you could do it now, so that's just so. the thing. Well, the Star Trek is keeping you busy. Now, you have new Star Trek novels in the pipeline as well, correct? I had a Star Trek novel come out last month. Uh, it's a next-generation novel called Hearts and Minds, and it's... Um, just the latest in their post-movie continuity. So all the all the events with the characters after the latest or the last Star Trek Next Generation movie. Uh, as of that, I don't have anything on the pipe. I don't have anything scheduled right now. At least uh, nothing you can announce, but who knows? Nothing I can announce, nothing I can talk about. I mean, oh I'm not God. working on anything right now, uh, We, but you never know. You never I've know. got some other projects that are Star Trek related in the pipelines, but... Um, you know, one day they'll announce. All right. And I'm working for other clients doing non-Star Trek stuff, too. No, wait, what? What, what, what? <laughs> yes. How dare you? I do those either. So, uh, you know, i gotta get got to pay bills. I'm a freelancer. So. Right, right, right. Cool. Well, listen, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, I'll be sure to say hi when we see you in Vegas. And uh, when those new projects uh, do become announced, if you and when they eventually make their way to the marketplace, we'll have you back on the show, and we'll talk about those. Right, I'm sure we'll run into each other. Excellent. All right, well, thanks so much, and um, until then, live long and prosper. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.